Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. Hi guys, do you want to get an insight into the world of F1 from the eyes and mouth of someone who's worked as a freelance TV producer since the 90s, who's worked for people like Star TV, B Sky B, Disney, ESPN and Fox News covering Formula One amongst other motorsports? Yes, yes, it's someone promoting a book. But listen to what Gunter Steiner had to say. Gunter Steiner said, it's with no swears, he said, it's a hilarious story of how a most unlikely character succeeded in our crazy world and said it provides a unique perspective on the flying circus and how it really works. So get ready to buckle up and dive deep as we speak to Chris Henley, who is the mastermind behind the must-read book, Starting from the Back of the Grid. And today, he's here to give us a front-row ticket into the heart-pounding world of Formula One. Hello, Chris. Well, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I wrote it down in advance. <laughs> Firstly, for our listeners, Chris, uh, let's establish then, what was your, your career? Who were you working for? What put you in the heart of Formula One? Well, I, I kind of got to Formula One by accident more than anything, which we talk about in the book, but uh, it's written by myself and my brother. Uh, and it's the story of how I got to work in Formula One, uh, behind the scenes of what's happening in Formula One, and a few stories for people that might not be, you know, so... Uh, so up with with what's happening they might be coming to formula one for the first time and um they you know they're just little stories because it's you know formula one is such an incredible sport and so many things have happened over the years and it's uh it's an interesting place to be i bet i'm massively jealous and one of the the best bits in your book gave us this kind of real insight into the not even the race itself but like pre-race and post-race when you're the person who has to bring that information to us, 
one of the things that struck me in the book was how little information you actually had. Like sometimes, <laughs> like you didn't even know the result of the race and you suddenly, right, now I have to go and speak to Lando Norris. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously in Formula One, it depends what sort of team you're working with. Um, there's sometimes you're working in a big team where you everybody has their specific roles and you can concentrate on one thing. If you're working for a smaller team in Formula One, uh, we, we mostly travel with three of us uh, to all the races. We have a presenter, myself as the producer and a cameraman. That's the m- most of the races that we do. And uh, in that format, you find yourself doing all sorts of things. So, you know, you're not just sitting around telling people what to do. There's hardly any of that. It's more about problem solving than anything else. Uh, the 2021 race between Lewis and Max, you know, the the most watched race in the history of formula one i had to be the cameraman because our cameraman didn't make it because <laughs> right. he didn't have he didn't have the right uh he didn't have the right uh covid um uh what you call it the vaccinations and the vaccinations yeah. so he so he didn't have the right vaccinations. so he i had to be the cameraman so you you have to kind of step in and <laughs> and, and just do what's required to to uh you know to get to get the job done basically so, like, when you say TV producer for motorsport, I think people are imagining Ed Harris in the Truman Show, where you've got this bank of monitors and you're this benevolent, all-powerful commander. And it's like, no, you're the one actually fumbling around with the battery packs, m- making sure that you've got, you know, the right microphones, the right cables. So the glamour kind of, as as I was reading the book, the glamour sort of seeps away gradually as we realise what it is you have to do day to day. Yeah, of course. I mean, I've I've been in that position where you know you're standing, sitting in front of all of the monitors, and you're and you're sort of directing what's going to happen and what's going on to to go onto screen. But as I say, with a smaller crew, I mean, you have the people that are back in the studio making a lot of the decisions as well. So you you have to have a crew that you know them can multitask really. So you're sometimes you're editing. That's what you mentioned about going up to Landon Norris and not having the having the the right question because you haven't seen the race because you might be editing something while the race is going on, not actually see what's happened. And then something happens to the presenter who can't make it to the pen. So you have to go and cover for the pen, cover in the pen. So you, you end up, you know, uh, you, you try to, to, to work your questions to, in order to, you know, to be them as open as possible. So you don't make a complete tool of yourself. Uh, excuse me. I, I, I'm not sure I can use that word. So you don't, so you don't make a bit a complete idiot of yourself. You have to sort of. We have Joe Saywood in this shed all the time, Chris. I, I think we'll be okay. Oh, okay. But um, I, I'm definitely familiar with this because I have a, a mild form of uh, facial recognition problem. So it takes a long time for a face to burn into my mind's eye. So I'm also very used to when someone comes up and says, oh, hello, you've got kind of a very open thing. And, and you did a great description in your book about how you have you had a face that that could cover all bases when suddenly coming upon a f1 driver yeah exactly so uh, it's funny because uh one of one of the other uh, mariana from the brazil tv uh she sent me a couple of photos the other day of uh, looking at my my sad face and my happy face as i was listening to the driver speak so i you know you have to "Mm, that's very interesting oh no i've no idea what my next question is going to be but you know that's just one aspect of the job i mean obviously talking to the drivers you have to do in a small crew because Sometimes when the main the main presenter can't get there, you have to cover. Um, but obviously, you know, I don't want to make out that our our channel is uh, cowboys. It's just, uh, you know, the, the most important stuff, the presenter's covering. 
Okay, well, one of the things I, I did really like about the book, starting from the back of the grid, is, like, are you sure you're not being too honest in this book? Because you detail an awful lot of your, your mistakes, whereas a lot of people in media tend to try and be very perfect, like the cat that falls off the fence and then gets up <laughs> as if nothing happened. I mean, you, you've laid bare a CV of potential disasters. Yeah, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be working in television or in Formula right. One next year, that's for sure. But um, it kind of, you know, uh, the the whole book started as an idea of, um, I was at a Christmas with my brother and my mother. Uh, my mother wasn't very well at the time, and uh, I was telling them some stories about Formula One, and they, somebody said, you should write these down. And uh, I said, well, I have been over the years writing down these various stories, and but, you know... I haven't make, made the next step to actually decide to write a book about it. So my brother was like, well, I can help you with that. He's a, a lot older than me. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's um, he went to Cambridge, very different personality. Oh. So we, we kind of worked really well together because what he ha- could bring to the table, he wasn't so familiar with Formula One, but uh, he, he, he brought a certain aspect to the table. And we, we managed to, you know, get this project off the ground and write it you know, uh, for me anyway, it was about getting it in my mum's hand because, yeah. you know, she wasn't very well at the time. But then she made this miraculous recovery and I, I just got sent her with the book in her hand. So that that was kind of like really why we wrote the book or at least why, why I wrote it. I mean, I've always been trying to get published all, uh, for, for many years, but uh, it, it was more of a labor of love and trying to focus on the positive side of Formula One within the paddock, but making fun of myself. Uh, that's you know <laughs> yeah. really the idea. So you know, in answer to your question, yes, uh, I definitely expose myself in many ways. But in the book, it's not just the how 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 I got into uh, motor racing, how I got to Formula One. It's also about you know things that have happened over the years, and just a little bit about the characters that are behind the scenes because you know there's some mm. there's some great characters in the paddock. Yeah, and I just, I like the, the, like I said, when you're competing with the other TV crews and like you see something like Martin Brundle's grid walk <laughs> and, and it does look really competitive. At times he'll like turn and he'll like snarl and I'm expecting an Anchorman type scene where you have <laughs> ESPN turn up with pitchforks versus Fox yeah. News. You know, yeah. how, how competitive is that for real? Well, I mean, it, it, it's funny because nowadays after COVID actually, uh, the pen for example, where all the drivers come after qualifying and uh, the race, uh, it's it's quite actually quite chilled out now because, you know, because of COVID, everybody had to be separated. So they did. And then Liberty came on board and they 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 made it so that it was much more organized, I would say. I mean, in Bernie Eccleston's days, it was far it was a far more of a of a bun fight. I mean, you had to basically get in there and (laughs) And, uh, and just grab whatever you could. I mean, people were elbowing you out the way and pushing you. I mean, I remember when I first went to to Monaco for the first time in 1994, I think it was, and trying to get an interview with, with Schumacher and just having no idea what it involved and just being in this situation where I was just like, okay, Schumacher, we'll just do the interview over here. And uh, they, everybody looked at me like, who the hell is this guy? He has no idea <laughs> what he's doing. I mean, because... Hey, Mickey, it, come over yeah. here. Yeah, because I was like, well, we're in a tent, but there's a nicer view of the boats outside the tent. Can we just pop outside? And of course, you know, I, I, they looked at me like I was uh, insane. Uh, but that's the way it was, you know, back in those days. It was, it was, it was crazy. I mean, any interview you, you wanted to get outside the garages or, or in any situation, it was always a fight. So you had to sort of latch on and lock onto 
the people that you knew were going to get the interviews so you could piggyback them uh you can you know like i uh for 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 many well at least two seasons um i piggybacked um uh the bbc because i knew that they were going to come to all the drivers were going to come to the bbc so i would we would put our camera right by them and of course you know if you're the bbc you're like who are these people there one side was us and the other side was the japanese channel and we were all just trying to get the interviews and of course you know uh the the the, the questions would be asked and you you could ask questions at that point but by the time you know, all of the important questions be asked it was impossible to think of something that sounded you know intelligent so you'd uh you'd end up you know you, you could either say hi how's your mum," or you could just say nothing and just use the questions from 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 the other from the other channels but as i say nowadays it's a lot more chilled out and uh it's a lot more easy to get the drivers okay well let's let's focus in on the drivers because that's where the the glamour is so like in, if you say it's a little bit harder in the olden days whereas now there's almost like a massive oversaturation of the drivers so yeah. if if you're on your twitter feed you, you see the drivers answering the same question four or five times with yeah. varying degrees of enthusiasm and then at one point you'll get the lance stroll answers where you know where he kicked off recently in qatar like how much is, has that changed the characters themselves yeah i mean of course now you've got it kind of split into the drivers have to come up to every channel oh well they're not every channel so so in in the pen right now you'll have uh three probably so you'll have um like we are we for example over the well the last years i've been working for spanish tv um well uh ESPN Spanish language yeah uh, yeah so you have the we have the Spanish channel with us and then we have um we have Fox so we split it between the three of us and everybody's got two questions so you know the first one will kick off and uh, ask their questions and because you know the driver's slightly looking at your camera and sometimes you have to ask the same question again so the cameras the 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 drivers will have to answer the same questions even for those three people and then go on to the next channel and ask their three questions because everybody wants the driver you know looking at them down down the lens of the camera it's a bit of a giveaway if they're talking like at a right angle <laughs> yeah. away and off in a different direction but, but, but back in the day back in the early day i mean you were you were happy to get that you know you'd sometimes get a shot of their ear and the funny thing is i don't think you know the the viewer really cares too much what the angle is to be honest but you know, it, it's just become that way. You know, you want to you want to get it all perfect. You want to have the driver looking at you and, and and answering your questions and so forth. So, like, say for example, a driver like Lewis Hamilton. I think you can tell. We obviously we can't see who's the other side of the camera, right? But you can tell when he's happy, and you can tell when he's relaxed, and when he doesn't really want to talk to that person. So that kind of relationship with a driver over. And no offense, the way I say this, over many, 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 many years for you, Chris, you, you must have like had some drivers where you just go, I just, I never, I never clicked. I never, like every time he saw my face, he went, oh, great, it's Henley. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, of course, of course. Well, Lewis is a good example because, I, I mean, uh, he's a lovely guy and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, all, he's never really uh, been that bad to me. But I can remember in the in the early days, uh, well, uh, I did, Formula One in in the nineties, but then I didn't do it for many years. I came back in around two thousand and eleven. In those early early years of of getting back into it and having to do all these interviews, whenever Lewis came along, yeah, it was a bit like I've got to make this question intelligent, or he's going to give me a one word answer. 
And he definitely did that. And I, I don't blame him. You know, if you, if somebody's not answer, asking a, a, an intelligent question to you, you you know, I would do the same. You know, you give them t- a two word answer and, you, and you'd leave. I mean, I, I had the, uh, the I had a one to one with him uh, because the presenter couldn't make it. So I sat down with him. And again, it's a it's kind of scary kind of uh, thing to sit down with him because, you know, he's he's such an incredible guy and he's he's got all these different uh different interests uh just you and lewis in the room yeah just just sitting down with lewis and 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 it was a um you know i'd done a lot of preparation for it i only found out that i was doing it uh, (laughs) shortly before i was going to do it but i still sat down and did a lot of preparation for it and so my first four questions or so was about statistics and you know like so i opened my my first question he was like well i don't really have any interest in statistics so uh so I was like, well, that's my first four questions <laughs> out the window. You got? Then. Yeah, I mean, what else have you got? You know, nervously going down the list. Um, but then, you know, you just like anything, you relax and you get uh, you get to talk to them about their other other interests. And then he sort sort of came alive and started talking and and uh, was was lovely. You know, he's he's, a, he's an incredible guy. But yeah, I've definitely had a few uh, one word answers off him. And you mentioned Lance as well. Yeah. But I don't think that's a personal thing against me. I think that, you know, Lance sometimes, uh, you know, doesn't answer fully, especially when he's annoyed. And I can understand that, too. I mean, if you you have to go to the pen and you have to answer these questions. And sometimes, what can you ask? I mean, the guy, uh, not necessarily Lance, but whoever it is, you know, might have crashed. He just had had his engineer tell him that he's he's an idiot. And, you know, the the team (laughs) boss is annoyed at him and. He's got to go de- go in and deal with all that stuff, and you've got some idiot asking you a question of, you know, about why he didn't do that corner better. I mean, it's you know, it's understandable. I mean, these guys. Someone are- who's never stepped foot in a, a Grand Prix car or I- any kind of race car, and you, and you, but you have to ask. You have to go. How yeah. come you bend it into the wall? You dunce. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it, it, it's hard. I mean, sometimes, it, and th- and there's you know, it's difficult to be able to gauge how you say it because if. If you come across like, oh, you poor thing, they 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 don't like it. If you, if you come across as, you know, sort of matter of fact about it, they don't like it. You know, if you're in that situation, these guys, uh, there's 20 Formula One seats available. I mean, if you're a fo- football driver, a football player, you can play in a hundred, a thousands of teams around the world. But these guys, these are 20 of the best of the best of the best. And, um, you know, they are dealing with everything. You know, they're dealing with the press. They do, sometimes they're speaking two or three, four languages. They're, you know, they've just come off a circuit, driving at incredible speeds. They're dealing, sitting down low in the car so they can't really see what's going on. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult job and only only a few people can do it. So it's very easy to criticize any of the drivers, but really, realistically, they are incredible people, all of them. And uh, you know they deserve the they deserve to be there all of them and they deserve the the merit. So you know having some dunce asking them a stupid question, you can understand why they don't like it. I, I really fear like if any of them listen to to any podcasts, I really really hope they don't because like as a an armchair pundit, you, you kind of you have to talk about the things that went right and wrong, but yeah. we have so little authority to be speaking on it. Yeah. And on top of that, it, when things go well, it's it's kind of boring. So mm. all the talking points tend to be around when things go wrong. And exactly. so there's quite a lot of negativity. I'm like, oh, please, for their own sake, for, for everyone's sake, F1 drivers, never listen to 
a podcast. But then, so we have a guy, a tech guy, Matthew Summerfield, uh, from motorsport.com. He comes on here occasionally. And, you know, he did a tweet about Alonso, and he got an angry tweet back from, from Fernando Alonso. So you go, you know, yeah. these are humans who look and see this stuff. So if you want to build a relationship with them... There, there has to be an element of kid gloves in the reporting. You have to be nice, you know, as if as if they're going to come round for for tea. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, television is. A, you have to remember that television is a very different beast than, uh, well, podcasting or journalism or or other things. I mean, if you go, if you are face to face with the drivers on a regular basis and you're trying to get uh, a good answer from them, yeah. and, and and you need to have, you need to be respectful. Uh, whereas if you are, I don't know, I, I don't want to name any any uh, newspapers, but a newspaper that needs something sensational, obviously you're going to ask the more difficult questions. I mean, I have a lot of respect for the for the journalists that go in there and say, you know, you're not doing you're not doing your job. You know, I think that's that's great, but it's not it's not my place to do that because uh, you know you have to you have to come up against them the next day and you have to. I mean. For, for for a journalist, perhaps getting an angry comment is great for them that day, and then having that kind of feeling the next time is is also good for them because the more annoyed they are, the better you know, the more clicks, the 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 the, the better the the piece that they get for um for their for their uh, newspaper report. I understand it, but they're very, they're very different beasts. Television is more about trying to you know being respectful and trying to get them to tell the viewers uh you know in the best possible way and they'll give them the most information yeah you're our you're our eyes really aren't you so you're our eyes and 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 in a small way you're a mouthpiece piece for us to go hey hey what happened there so it must be an interesting decision as a tv producer to kind of go right well well what 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 story what images what what interviews what am i what am i transmitting back to the viewer like you've got an awful lot of power over our experience mm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Television has that way. I, I, I remember that. I mean, this has got nothing to do with Formula One, but I remember doing a piece for. You remember the the, the Tanya Harding, uh, the ice skaters, uh, when they had that, yeah. you know. And I remember cutting a piece to this, and I remember thinking, well, I can cut it in one way, and I can I could be clearly talking about that I, I'm favoring one person. If I cut it another way, I'm clearly favoring the other person. And you do have that power in TV. So you can have all the preparation in the world in, you know, or all of the best intentions to do uh, uh, whatever you, you think should go into the show. Like you can pre-edit something. You can have this incredible piece, you know, that it's got all these beautiful images, slow-mos, great music, and something happens uh, on the race and it becomes irrelevant. So you have to be, uh, you have to be ready to drop every idea you had prior or, or all the preparation that you had and just go with what happened. You know, suddenly somebody announces that, you know, I don't know, Sebastian Vettel's going to retire from Formula One, and that becomes the story. You know, everything else that you did becomes irrelevant. So you just have to, especially in live TV, and you have all these things coming in all the time, you know, obviously now more so than back in the 90s, but you have all this information that's coming to you. So it's more about, you know, reacting to what's happening in order to give the most up-to-date information to the person that's listening. I'm going to get nosy uh, in a second, and I feel like I'm entitled to because I say you a are. good third of the book is 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 you laying yourself uh, to bear during your your Formula One career. But when it comes to to what we see at home, we're so spoilt now with the world feeds that we see. 
that when the director lingers on the crowd a little bit too long or they play too many replays when actually we want to be watching, we, we suddenly we're up in, oh, the broadcast's awful today. But then you go, actually, just go, just just sneak back and watch a 90s broadcast and see what how little information they had and, and how all the techniques have changed. Like, the the power of broadcasting now is so much more. And you must have just seen, you know, was it gradual or did that hit you in the face? Well, I mean, for me, going being in that uh, environment, I mean, I can remember in '94 when sitting. I wasn't at the race. I, I, the first race I went to was Monaco, but the the race prior to that, we were in the studio. You know, you you mentioned about being in front of all the monitors and making those decisions. You know, uh, in that situation when Ernst Senna died, you know, you, you you're looking at all these screens and you and you know where do you go? You've got the one camera that was focusing on him and his car. Uh, you've got you can go back to the studio and you can hear, you know, your your the presenters talking about it. What do you choose? That was pretty much what it was. And I can remember uh, vividly when when he died. Of course, we stay on, on the images until, you know, and we just stay on that camera because the director, you have to remember that when you're a TV channel, you have all of this information coming in. I mean, now you've got all the graphics, you've got everything that's given to you. That's the live feed. So your job as a channel at the races is to, you know, to enhance it, to talk to the people there. But you're getting this massive package and it's incredible, you know, what they do. You know, you have all the graphics, you have all the onboards, you have all these different angles and stuff. But back in the 90s, there was none of that. So it was very, very simple to make that choice. Nowadays, it's a, it, you know, it's it's also being done for you a little bit because the director that's on site is is choosing between those cameras. So how much how much do you get to choose as a as a channel? Because I spent a part of last year in Spain, so I was watching uh, Daz N F one. Daz N, yeah, we, that's who we st- we are next to in the pen, yeah. Oh right, and like I, I wish I my Spanish was better because yeah, you know, I, I seemed to enjoy it, and it was very very lively and stuff. But you just go, wow, there's quite a different viewing experience. So I yeah. just wondered, like, how much does the channel get dictated to by the world feed? Well, uh, and you used a great example because, you know, Dazen is interested in Alonso. I mean, uh, you know, (laughs) obviously signs also, but Alonso is their go-to man. Everybody loves him. So they are obviously doing everything they can to give the information about uh, Fernando. And, uh, you know, other channels will focus on Lewis. You know, obviously Sky, well, Sky have got, so many British drivers, it's it's easy to for them. But uh, if you've got one, for example, now in um, in Disney, ESPN Disney, we don't have a an Argentinian driver. The closest we have is uh, is Checo Perez. Um, you know, back in the day, we had Maldonado. I mean, I remember having to do having to do all these interviews with Maldonado <laughs> because, yeah, as you said, maybe. The rest of the world isn't interested, but for us, it was a huge thing because he's a Yeah, well, you got to interview him early a lot, so that was convenient. You could get that interview done early and in the can, couldn't you, most exactly. of the time? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, in 2012, we were, we, were into, we were in the pit, you know, after he won in, uh, in Barcelona in 2012, uh, we were in the pits. We were actually, we'd, oh, done, yeah. we'd, we'd done Pastor, and uh, we were doing Claire Williams in, in the pits. Everybody was celebrating. And then the whole of the pits, uh, or the garage. Caught rather. fire. Yeah, it blew up. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a chapter in the book about that kind of angle. It comes later later in the book. So, yeah. So, but Pastor, yeah, he, he came to us first. You know, when, when some, someone like that wins, obviously the first people he comes to in the pen is us. And, and uh, you know, uh, 
whereas Lewis would go to Sky or the BBC. Sorry, I just need to clarify this for the, the British viewers who are, and listeners. Uh, in other countries, you're allowed to support the home driver. It's only in Britain where it's a problem and we get yelled at for British bias. Ziggo doesn't worry about Dutch bias. Yeah. Does NF1 doesn't worry about Spanish bias. So that's, that's quite an interesting one in itself. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's what I mean. I've been in Buenos Aires now in Argentina for 25 years, more or less. And it's quite shocking to see people so biased. I mean, even even in uh, obviously when Argentina won the World Cup, you know, you can it's understandable. But any kind of football, uh, football uh, or any sport, it's very, very obvious the bias. Whereas in the UK, yeah, it's, you know, they try not to do that, (laughs) which, you know, I, I like that. But it's also, you know, the passion. Some people just can't hold themselves back. And I suppose if they're just transmitting to that particular country, it doesn't matter. Yes, well, I suppose for, for Sky, it goes out to a, to a lot of countries. So maybe That's they're true. under a bit more scrutiny with that. Right. Yeah. I, I've kept you for, for longer than I said, and I'm yeah. just going to burst through and just risk annoying you. So this is what I love about the book. It, it, it sandwiched your life experience in between then talking about like specific times and events within Formula One. But it really, in a lot of ways, it's it's about the main character, Chris, who I, I recognise quite a bit because it's just a young idiot with a, a, an idea in their brain but not quite that final application you're like you never got that final crossing to to follow your dream so you took quite a diversion so from starting from the back of the grid you basically went from not doing particularly well in education you did better than me because you got an actual grade i was invited to leave at the same stage of education um, so you know, how did you end up from like from wandering nowhere this quite elongated path around the world to eventually coming into Formula One? Well, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to work in television from a very, very early age. I mean, I, I was once on the set of Bergerac because I'm from Jersey, the Channel Islands. And I, and I was looking around this kind of the scenario and I, everything made sense to me. But in Jersey, unfortunately, there's only one position that you could go for in, in television at the time. And maybe it's the same now. Um, and, uh, I went to, for that job and I didn't get it. Somebody else got it who did pass their A-levels. And, um, after that I was like, well, where do I go from here? So I decided to just uh, work in a bank for a year and just save up enough money to go traveling. And then that became exciting and fun and, you know, just ended up, oh, five years passed. And then I was like, well, what about my career? Whoops. I, th- I think I have to try and do something to get back into te- into television so i went back and went back to college at the age the late age of 24 or something and uh so in in, in that period I, I started applying for the bbc and everybody and everybody was like well it's way too late for you <laughs> sorry about that so yeah. you know yeah there's no chance you're getting into tv now because you're too old and uh, uh and you don't have any experience so somebody suggested i went to hong kong uh and so i went out to hong kong so I, I, I got this phone call one day from this lovely woman called Sam and she called me up and she said, uh, you're the expert on Formula One, aren't you? And I, I mean, I didn't know what she was talking about. And uh, so I, uh, I mean, I found out later what it was. What happened was the guy that fired me had put F in red letters and an exclamation mark in his Rolodex. And um, that F, uh, I don't know whether it was for fired or something <laughs> you know, a bit, bit, bit stronger, but she presumed it was from because I, I was the person to call for F1. So she called me up and uh, I was like, yeah, that's me. I'm the expert of Formula One. So she, she took me in for an interview and I got along really well with her. 
obviously the real story came out in the end and uh, you know I, I, I didn't deceive her but that was the reason how I got back in and that was the, the transition from nothing to a path on the way to the paddock see that's the universe man but I when know. those opportunities come come along especially if you're like an outsider these industries are so hard to break into you just you just have to take them um, yeah. I, I i used to do like a bunch of karting commentary but that came about from someone just making a mistake and going oh I, i've been told you're a, a race commentator and I, I was just thinking i just quit my engineering job and i went yes Yes, I am. And they go, okay, well, we're offering this much. Can you turn up at Milton Keynes? You go, yup. <laughs> and you go, right, how do you do commentary? And then you just have to like watch a bunch of commentary to see if you can do it. Yeah, I mean, that's life, isn't it? I mean, you have to take advantages of these these things that are thrown up. But is it, the, the point, I guess, is, you know, you, you mentioned about it being a, a little bit about life story because it, it's kind of intertwined in that. I mean, the, 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 there's, a, there's a theme in the book that's about the Lewis and Max, you know, how that particular race for, the, for Max's first world championship, I mean, all of the things that happened in that race, you know, were, were just tiny little things that, you know, every, uh, nine times, a hundred, uh, 999 times out of a, a hundred or a thousand or whatever it is, uh, it, they wouldn't go that way, but you know this tiny thing. You know that a little bit of dust on the on the wheel of uh, Latifi's car, and and then suddenly it's a different different thing. And that's what I was talking about. You know, you have to be ready to change when things when things change. You know, you have to be in the you have to be uh, if if a story comes out in F one, you have to be there and ready to to focus on that because that's what becomes important. And I think that's what it is. You know, you took advantage of your situation with the commentary. Uh, you didn't say no, 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 no. That, that, that's not me. You said, "Well, let, let's try yeah. it." And that's <laughs> what go. leads you. That's what leads you in life, I guess. And the it's, thing it's is, all though, Chris, that it's their mistake, isn't it? Yeah. And exactly. it's, it's not your mistake. So yeah. you, you just go for it. But um, the, the problem, I think, when if you're a young person and you go right, I, I do want to get into TV production. I do want to get in the F1 pan. When you speak to a lot of people like you, nobody's got the same story of of how they got into it. There's no route one which can make it very very intimidating and make it feel like a brick wall mm. that's that's not for you mm. well a, a young kid called, called me the other day who's he's 19 he was doing his he's trying to get into formula one and we i had a, like a little one of these sessions with him uh you know and he was looking for you know advice and and that kind of thing and you know i said to him i, I, I am not the person to give you any advice of course uh it's just about putting yourself out there <laughs> Yeah, read uh, my know, book and you'll quickly yeah, realize do exactly. not take any life advice from me exactly whatever you do don't listen to me that was the most important message for the guy but um you know a very very nice guy and i'm sure he'll do very well but the you know my advice to him was don't do what i do but just get be be in that area and just produce your own content i mean like you're what you're doing i listen to your fantastic podcast uh on after the las vegas race you were you were talking about uh, and great, super interesting. You you're, you put yourself in, you found uh, a place for yourself in, in this thing. Who knows? Maybe next year you'll be in the paddock and you'll be doing my job because uh, I won't work in TV anymore. <laughs> not, after, after not after everyone reads this, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I mean, I, I do what you're doing. That's what I would say to anybody. I mean, you look at look at your set. I mean, apart from the guy in the <laughs> top right-hand corner, um, it, it looks lovely. Yeah. It looks lovely. Yeah. Uh, it's very professional and... Um, Carry on doing things like that, you know. Get, I mean, it, again, it's it's passion, isn't it? It's uh, what you're what you're interested in. So I've taken loads of your time, but uh, we are here talking about uh, the book. So the book is 
the starting from the back of the grid, and that refers to you, misadventures inside Formula One's flying circus. I, I'm gonna. I know people need to buy the book, but I'm asking going to ask you. Can you tease us? What's your favourite story from from that that we should look out for? Well, I mean, it, it's kind of intertwined many many different themes. So to pick to pick one is um, is difficult. But I, I'll probably go to you know the start of the book, which the the, the, the book opens with me being the cameraman. With you know, <laughs> if you think I have no yes. exp- no no idea what I'm doing as a producer, I have even less as a as a cameraman. So um, I think it was coming to, to the most watched Formula One race in the history with uh, Max and Lewis uh, both on the same points miraculously after the, the season, the season ending race. And um, I was put into the position where I had to be the cameraman. And just before we were going to air, which we, to put into perspective, we were going to air across all of Latin America, Spanish speaking, USA, Apart, apart from Brazil and Mexico, we were covering covering. Well, actually, Mexico at the time because uh, I was working for for Fox as well. So they were all ready to see this thing, and I picked up the camera. And as I picked up the camera, the camera slid off the top of the tripod, and it's kind of that's kind of where the book starts uh, because it kind of my life flashed in front of me. It's like, well, well this is the end of my career. This is it's all over now, and. Um, it kind of bookends the book bookends that way, and we, we see what happens a, a little bit in the middle of the book, and then at the end. But it's that kind of you know feeling of well, I got all this, I I, I got this far, and it's all going to end this way, and um, and then it tells the story obviously of what happened in that incredible race. Well, of course, we'll include a link in the in the show notes for this episode, and I believe Waterstones even stock it like in real life for people who like going outside, uh, but. How did you get Gunter Steiner then to to write your forward? What what did it cost you? Did he, did he extract some blood? Did he make you buy him a new door? No, well, I mean, obviously Gunter's such a lovely guy, and I mean, he's made uh, you know he he's made really, <laughs> and not single handedly, but he was one of the big reasons why so, so many people came to Formula One. Characters like him, um, I think he sort of you know saw maybe in it that it's you know not it's it's coming from a humorous angle and. Um, you know, he's always he's always said that he thinks that Formula One needs more humor in it. So this is, you know, uh, so it kind of went hand in hand and he'd written his own book, obviously. So he, he knows what it's like to write a book. So it just went together really, really well. I, I love it. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm about two fifths of the way through and I am not a reader ever since Netflix came along in general. I've abandoned books, but uh, I love the way that you, the young, the younger you is sure. really painted as a as a character that we're following through the book. And it's a bit of a spoiler speaking to you now, because I'm like, is this guy going to survive? And obviously, you know, you have. So you're, you're there, you're walking and you're talking. Chris, great, uh, good luck with your book. I hope we can bring you on at some time again to just talk about general stuff in F1, because you've got such a wealth of experience. But everybody, go and buy the book, starting from the back of the grid, Misadventures Inside Formula One's Flying Circus. The title's too long, but thanks for your time, Chris Henley. Spanners, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was lovely to meet you, man.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.